This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Hog here. And, um, why is he here? Well, we're starting into, uh, you would think, perhaps, the final gasp of a football obsession, but I'm not so sure. We'll talk about that in a moment. Coach Hall locker room. And we're in the Mellon Law Studio, of course. Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida fighting Gator, and they didn't fight too well. We'll talk about that, too. I'm very disappointed in them. And, of course, we're protected 24-7-365 by crime prevention and brought to you by all our great sponsors, which we I really appreciate. And uh, I got to tell you that I've uh, been going over the numbers recently with some of the production people. And um, the Ward Scott Files has quite a viewing audience and listening audience. And it's grown really by word of mouth. We don't too much have the ability to um, do um, a billboard or some kind of thing like that. We just let you all talk about us, and we appreciate you doing that. Uh, we get the word out that apparently this is a place to come where you can maybe learn a little something, um, hear something discussed you can't hear any other way. And all that's in spite of, by the way, of uh, the fact that YouTube has tried to kill us, took us off, or daring to just talk about the possibility of election beep. It's a wonder the whole group of us is not in the jug with the January 6th outfit, which is uh, something else we'll talk about. So what a fiasco. Anyway, it is Coach Hall's locker room having a cup of uh, caliber coffee. We get a little bit of cut of that, and we're glad to, ho- glad to host it for the caliber, caliber coffee people. So um, if you do Ward 15%, 15 Ward Scott 15, I think you get 15% off. So um, try to catch uh, a little bit of caliber coffee from now and then. And we are... Um, as I say, recovering, I don't know if recovering is the right word, from all of the sports that we in America are privy to. And think about it. It's really quite a society that has been built in our lifetime. Instant gratification in all kinds of ways. You want something ordered out, they'll bring it to you. You have multiple choices multiple amounts, you don't eat it all, you can refrigerate it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
see multiple games on multiple channels and uh, really not have to pay a nickel. When I start throwing some of these money numbers around, you're going to be absolutely blown away. But uh, this uh, is the new world of entertainment. And I got to tell you that I got no problem with it. I enjoy watching very well-coached athletes perform at a very, very high level. Now, tonight, let's start there uh, with something that I don't even dare to know the numbers. Coffee. But tonight, you'll have a, a championship game. And I want to talk about Washington. I say Washington. My wife teases me. It's Washington. I can never get Washington come out. It's always Washington. Washington is like the other side of the world to me. I don't see them much on TV. They're not the talk of the SEC, the Big Ten, which is not the Big Ten. SEC is bigger than the SEC now. Um, Oregon and all that out there. I don't know what they're talking about. And yet, we have two undefeated teams going at each other tonight. And that's really quite something. But the Wall Street Journal has done a very good job on taking a look at quarterbacks. And the focus of this discussion is college quarterbacks. And zeroing in on Washington's quarterback. Michael Penix, I think, is the way you say his name. Big, broad-shouldered guy. Can throw the ball 100 miles an hour. But looking at the world through his eyes, he's got to count himself the most fortunate person to come along at the most fortunate time in the history of college football. And Lane Higgins has written about this. Michael Penix, believe it or not, is from Florida. Most football players are, by the way. Florida is a hotbed of recruiting all over the nation for football players. At any rate, Michael Penix went to Indiana initially. Well, Indiana is another place. Wake me up when you're finished talking about it. When Bobby Knight was there with basketball, that's what Indiana was known for. But Indiana and football, uh, you cannot be serious, as John McEnroe would say. But Michael Penix went to Indiana. And he rode the pines. Uh, he really was kind of lost in the morass of the guys on the sidelines. Then, in a fortuitous way, 
along comes the NCAA, which begins this musical chair stuff, switching programs. Because they have finally decided in their infinite chaotic wisdom, I guess, that's an oxymoron, that the kids have been getting screwed. The coaches have been making money. Universities have been making money. But the students on whose back these programs have existed have not been making anything other than a piddly little college scholarship. So along came the NCAA, as you know, name, image, and likeness, and collectives, which now allows players to switch programs, get endorsement deals, and the thing which attracts, and you can understand this, the most money, the greatest number of endorsements, the biggest food fight for them, are not just the top quarterbacks, but the top passers, quarterbacks. They now can command millions of dollars without ever having taken a snap from the center's rump on the college campus. And they don't even necessarily have to stay there once they say they're coming or are there. They can be bought by yet another place, which is a nightmare for the coaches. But it is their new normal. Where is the money coming from? It's coming, of course, from the collectives. And some of them are much better flush with cash than others. For example, um, the boosters put together their money. But oftentimes, there's one or two big boosters. So when this Penix went to the University of Washington in December of 2021, now this is January of 2024, he didn't have a six-figure payday. According to Higgins, he wasn't even, he wasn't promised anything. But even Washington didn't realize what they had. They didn't realize that because of circumstances, not necessarily of their own control, within two years of Penix being there, Penix would become perhaps, because it's always a moving target, the most valuable player in college football. Now, this guy could sling it. Big, broad-shouldered kid. So he is going to lead the Huskies into the national championship game against Michigan. And in so doing, he's been often injured, but he is the biggest bargain 
that you'll see on the field. The volatility of college football and the opportunity for circumstances to come about for a kid like Penix to flip a program around completely. defies a price tag. These coaches who are watching this film, they don't even put a price tag on it. It's not theirs. It's what those collective boosters want to pay. Now, that puts places like Florida in a difficult position. Because Florida, University of Florida, while it has boosters and people with money, it's not like Texas with its oil, or perhaps even out west where there's Nike shoes and very flush corporations. Now, from Penix's point of view, He right away, once this cranked up, got a million dollars from a Washington donor collective called Mont Lake Futures. Mont Lake Futures goes out and collects partnerships with businesses like Adidas, Alaska Airlines, and hooks those businesses up through their network with commercial opportunities for these players who become, of course, super advertisers for them. But that isn't even what was in the books when Penix came. What Penix was looking for And this is what I contend is always the thing you should be looking at in a football game. Most people can't make themselves do it. But if you study it for a while, during the game, you can tell how the game is going. And that is study the interaction between the offensive and defensive lines. That's where it happens. Michigan, arguably, let's say, has the best defensive line in college football. So what Penix was looking for when he quit Indiana and looked around for somewhere else to go, where can I find the most competent offensive line to protect me? Because at Indiana... He was sacked 15 times in 11 games and suffered two season-ending injuries. So what he wanted, find me some school that's got an offensive line. And even that was not a guarantee. Tennessee had been watching him. They wanted to bring him in. 
he was already gun shy about these places because coming out of high school in Florida, he had almost no attention. Um, he talked to Tennessee a lot. And he made friends with a guy named Nick Sheridan. Nick Sheridan is the assistant coach who had recruited Penix to Tennessee, who had then taken a job at Indiana. And when Sheridan went to visit Penix in Tampa, he brought the entire staff along. Because that team that was down there had a game. Now, Penix's high school coach came from Tampa Bay Tech. So they began to zero in on Penix simply as an insurance policy for their team. And lots of times they want that insurance policy because they don't want anybody else to have it. But as soon as they take him at Indiana, he tears his ACL. And the next year, he has a shoulder injury. Then, he begins to get mental scars. He's gun shy. He's lost his trust in his line to protect him. And listen, the guy's getting older. He's floundering around. He hasn't caught on. But all the coaches know about him. And the coaches are playing musical chairs. You know, one of the things football coaches now remind me of are radio personalities. When I first got on the radio 10 years ago, I nicknamed all my buddies Cornies because they were like carnival guys. They were in town for the carnival and then were gone. But they all knew each other. Sooner or later, he who had worked for somebody else now has that somebody else working for him, and they bounce around, they're in the business, they're traveling constantly. That's the way coaching is. If you're in the coaching fraternity, you're always going to have a job. You're always going to be coach. There was a time in my younger life when coaching was so much fun being around coaches, that I thought about being a coach rather than a professor. But I don't regret that. But coaching would have been a lot of fun. But so was being in the classroom. So was being with you guys. So Indiana's offensive coordinator was the quarterback coach when Penix was there at Southmore, 2019. All this rumor is traveling around about where are the potential good quarterbacks. And then along comes the collective. And along comes name, image, and likeness. And all of a sudden, had the system not changed, Higgins points out, that was all a floundering around that 
Penix was doing. Not through any fault of his. He might have used up under the old system the 21 game limit for a college career at Indiana. Now it's limitless. He's got 25 wins and he's still at Washington. It's a different system. So when you watch that game tonight, when you watch that game tonight, that's just one player. That's just one player. Now, albeit a very important player. Everybody understands that. But the whole system is like that. Now, people, people have asked me about women's sports. The women are not going to be left out. ESPN, according to Rachel Bachman, has just worked on a deal for the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament will be synced with the men's basketball tournament. They'll package this together under a broadcast right contract for multiple sports championships, and it will be worth $115 million a year. Three times, three times, the package's previous value. This is a new eight-year deal between the NCAA and ESPN. It was announced Thursday. It encompasses 40 sports championships and runs from September 2024 through mid-year 2032. Women's basketball represents 57% or $65 million of the deal's annual value. About 10 times the sports value in the deal that's expiring. This is interesting in that We have this conversation about what is a woman. I hope, I hope they can keep that definition biological. But anyway, we're talking about softball, volleyball, women's gymnastics, a huge draw the women's basketball tournament. This is going to be a new concept that some coaches have wanted for a long time. A system of sharing tournament revenues with participating schools. That would be a new 
route. Now, top division NCAA football is the most valuable college sports media property. Women have nothing parallel to that. That, what we just talked about, is worth billions of dollars annually. Billions of dollars. So, what a society. And then, this broadcast all over the world. All over the world. The NFL. Talk about NFL for a minute. There was a moment in the game yesterday between the Saints and the Falcons where the Saints players defied their own coaches and scored from a kneel-down formation in order to let one of their players get a touchdown this season, which he never would have gotten any other way. It is called the... The, uh, the score was already... 41-17, and what happened? I tried to pull the actual moment up, but couldn't get it pulled up on the any place I was looking at before the show. But um, there were no rules against what they did. They uh, made a collective decision as a team, and they decided um, they would... Take care, let me see if I get this straight. The play was set up by Treon Matthew, who intercepted Falcons Reserve Logan Woodside and returned the ball 74 yards before being tackled by tight end John Fitzpatrick and receiver Mac Hollins at the Atlanta 1. Now the Saints starting quarterback, Derek Carr, who watched the play from the sideline after his four-down touchdown day was done, said he knew that offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael Jr., had called for a kneel down. But, and he said he understood his teammates' urgency to orchestrate a touchdown run for Williams. Now, this Williams led the NFL in touchdowns rushing for Detroit last season with the Lions' single-season record of 17. But he'd been shut out of the end zone this entire year. So these guys fixed it. So he could score a touchdown. And the um, Saints coach apologized. And the Falcons coach, who was later fired late last night, did not Except apology. It made me harken back to the Gator flop 
And in case you've never seen the gator flop, I think we've got it for you. Um, I found it out on YouTube. It's self-explanatory. I'd like to show it to you because it involved what was considered to be unsportsmanlike conduct on the part of the Gators. And uh, some of the old-timers like yours truly remember the moment real well. Uh, Zach, can we run that? Cursing may have the horses and depth in 72 when Miami seeks to avenge its humiliation by Florida's Gators in 71. It was not so much this 82-yard punt return by Florida's Harbin Clark and the extra point putting the Gators out in front, 45-8, to they'll be talking about. But it's the next play coming up after Miami linebacker Gary Altied picks off a John Reeves pass on this play right here. There's the interception. Now watch this. The Canes second and seven on Florida's eight. The entire Gator defense lies down, letting John Hornibrook go in unmolested with a two-point conversion. It was Florida 45, Miami 16. As it turns out, there was a motive behind the great laydown with John Reeves back in at quarterback. He passes to Carlos Alvarez for 15 yards. That's enough to break Jim Plunkett's all-time career passing mark, 7,300-plus yards. As the Florida team celebrated by taking a dip in the Orange Bowl fountain, Miami's coach Fran Kersey was saying that Gator coach Doug Dickey would live to regret the day he pulled such a Bush League stunt on the Canes. Well, let me say it this way to you. There were several angles to this ball game. Number one is that our football team came to play and they wanted to win the game very badly. This was a game we thought we would remember over the winter. And uh, so we came to play and played very well to start the ball game and uh, made some things happen. It turned out the half that John Reeves had 170 yards passing at the half, and we felt this made us within striking range of an all-time record in collegiate passing. Uh, those are unusual records. So it uh, got down to the point, Harvin Clark returned a punt, 80 yards in there, which uh, if we had that 80 yards to have worked with a little bit, uh, we would not have had to have done anything to get the ball back. As it turned out, we did not have the record. After the game was obviously won, we did not have the record. And so it became a matter of having to get the ball back. Uh, I called timeout two times in a row, hoping that Miami would throw the ball or run wide uh, where we would have an opportunity to they would score or we would have a chance to intercept the ball or something, but they did not. And uh, so we had no choice after our timeouts were all gone. If we wanted to get the record, but to let Miami score, uh, the way it was done was not by my instructions, but the uh, players chose to do that. So uh, I, I would uh, certainly say that what well, we, our intention was to get the ball back. So Coach Dickey has his reasons for turning what was admittedly a lopsided football game into a farce to give his quarterback a shot at a record. It was Bush League, and Dickey's intimation that he didn't approve of the way his team let Miami score certainly doesn't seem consistent with most of the football coaches I've known. That maneuver last night has to tarnish the image of anyone associated with football at the University of Florida, and if that's an example of the type sportsmanship taught by college football programs at this state's university, then maybe the sport should be de-emphasized.
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help!
What happened? I think we're back. I think we're back, audio. Give me a high sign in the chat line. I think we're back. We're dealing with the internet world. Okay, I don't know what y'all heard, but um, yeah, we're back. Thank you, Michael Lucas. Thank you, Jody Davis watching. Well, I was talking about a Stonehenge at the bottom of a lake in Michigan. Lakes up there. I don't know if you caught all that or not, but uh, that was before, of course, fossil fuel, uh, before electric cars, before Joe Biden, 7,000 years ago. Hey, what caused global warming then? I mean, to flood and cause the lakes to form and to stink, uh, sink the Stonehenge that's at the bottom of the lake. Huh? I mean, come on. There's, there's, how, how, how much longer are we supposed to take this fiasco? So that's what I was talking about with the stone, when we had a, lot of, a little power glitch that, um, you know, I don't know what to tell you. A lot of it starts with universities. Does has to, and I've got. You know, I was part of the university system forever. I know what I'm talking about. Plagiarism. Let me talk. Let me talk to you about plagiarism. It got so bad that we, as a college and an English department. Subscribe to a business called Turnitin.com. And what Turnitin.com stands for, slow it down, turn it in. Turnitin.com. Some mad genius started a business. Specialized just on looking for plagiarism in college papers. I think the darn thing costs us about five grand to subscribe to. But don't don't hold me to that. So here's how it would work. You shuffle papers. Papers as a professor. You're reading a paper, and all of a sudden, the language is too dignified for the person you know who doesn't possess those skills. So rather than go to the person and say, Susie Q or Johnny K, This is not your work. You'll get a bunch of, oh, well, gee, I didn't. So we turned it in, turnitin.com. Turnitin, believe it or not, 
would find within a nanosecond of whether that phrase had been published somewhere else. And if you had turned in a student's paper before, it would even tell you whether it had already been used fraudulently by another student in another paper. Now, I've been out of the loop long enough. I don't know if we still use, or they still use, Turnitin.com. But we did. Well, now, I ran across this in the New York Times. The New York Times, even. You know, a lefty bunch of a lefty bunch. Is become suspicious of higher ed. Who'd have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? And now comes an essay I ran across in of all places, the New York Times, about standardized tests. Now, you know, a lot of things happened during COVID that we kind of uh, don't know the full consequences of yet. But during the pandemic, dozens of colleges dropped the requirement that applicants take the SAT or the ACT. But the college administrators said, well, this is just temporary. But now, since they haven't been restored, there's a problem. Without test scores, admission officers can't tell who has a good chance at the institution. Why? Because high school grades, uh, you got it, you got it, you got it, have been inflated. Now, let me tell you an interesting, you know me. My mind is active all the time. This is the classroom we're talking about. How about on the tennis court where I spent a lot of time once upon a time, as you know, as a tennis umpire, as a tennis player, So I know a lot of tennis professionals. They're my friends. They may even have been people I played as kids. And now they've become grown men and they do this as a profession. I was talking to some of them recently. 
And I said, hey, you guys got anybody in your camp that has potential from around here? And they said, no. I said, really? I said, I ride by the courts. I see you guys out there giving lessons. It looks like you had a good crowd. You're telling me that in that, that whole group of kids, boys and girls, there's nobody coming from this community that you know has potential? That might be a cut above. And he said, no. But we think we know why. Really? What's the reason? The day's parents who send these kids to these camps, because the parents always send the kids to camps, are too protecting. Won't let them fail. Won't let us tell them as players were coaching. That they're not doing it right. There's a correct, more efficient way to hit that ball than you're hitting. But they don't want to let us give the player the harsh truth. No, you're never going to be on the WTA. The World Tennis Association courts. You're never going to be Nadal. You're never going to be Roger Federer. What can you do with what you've got? You might go to college. How well you do there? If you don't listen to us, you won't A, go there, and B, if you go, you won't do well. Why? Because is it not? They're not to be given the brutal truth. The SAT and ACT is a predictor of how well they'll compete in the classroom. But if you don't have the predictor, to whom is it unfair? So if you turn to the written essay, which we did, because of this very reason, we're in the beginning of this sort of movement. And all mixed up in here is racism and you know, they don't get to they don't go to the same grocery store you go to. So you, they don't they don't shop for bananas. You know, so you can't ask them a math question about how many bananas. I'm just making that up. Something like that. So there's a bias in the standardized testing. And you can't hold them to the same standardized. You can't hold them to the same standards in writing if they come from the east side of town, as you would hold them to, they came from the west side of town. 
Come on. And so we started having to use Turnitin.com to make sure somebody wasn't writing the paper for them. Why couldn't we just go to them and say, hey, we got a free lab. Come to the lab as much as you want to. Remember I told you we couldn't get the black male to come. And we couldn't keep the agent out, male or female. The test scores, so writes the New York Times now, a big liberal outfit like them, are useful at identifying students from disadvantaged backgrounds. And when you don't have them, the students who suffer the most are the kids who could have been identified as having a potential even though their scores weren't quite as high. But without any kind of scores, as on the tennis court, we know you won't get very far playing against somebody who holds the racket in a grip that's more efficient than the one you're using. We know it. We've watched thousands of balls, thousands of balls be hit. But if you as a parent won't let us tell the kid that, to whom is it unfair? Is that a cultural issue? Many are beginning, even the New York Times, beginning to think it is. At Harvard, you know all about this plagiarism issue. The Harvard Honor Council. There is such a thing. Last year, well, 2021 to 22, heard 100 individual cases of students involving plagiarism and exam cheating. 12% of those accused students were required to withdraw from the college, usually because they were repetitive violations. Even with these infractions, though, 25% of the class of 2023 reported having cheated, including nearly one-fifth of those, are you ready for this, with 4.0 grade point averages. At Harvard, they're cheating at Harvard. Harvard is supposed to be the creme de France. At Stanford, the undergraduate senate 
tried, that's the student Senate, tried to block programs ensuring academic integrity because they claim it violated Stanford's shared governance. And shared governance is where the professor doesn't get to fully decide your grade, even though he's the the expert. We have to also solicit your opinion of what you think you're worth. What are the chances are of that being inflated? You got any clue? Meanwhile, Stanford has loosened up its standards so that it can get students. Are you ready for it? To meet its diversity goals. And where do you think the rubber meets the road for those students? In the STEM programs, the heavy-duty calculus and physics and biochemistry and where the cheating has increased. I think maybe we have reached a turning point for that. Maybe, maybe we've reached a turning point. an honor code that the students are able to say we have a voice in whether we decide whether that's an action that deserves to be scrutinized according to honor. Are you kidding me? Well, buckle down, get ready to stay up late tonight. You're looking at a guy out there who is got quite a story to how he came to be the quarterback. That maybe is the most interesting story about it all. I would say go Gator, but the Gator blew it. How can you miss? You know, it's called a free throw because it's free. Nobody screws with you. I lettered in basketball. I never missed a free throw. Do you know why? After the practice was over, I went and practiced them for like an hour. Shot nothing but free throws. I never, I say never. Seven out of ten. I never expected to do any worse than that. The Gators missed, I think, the last count, basketball team, 11 free throws. 11. 
They should have been in that gym after, right after the game, shooting free throws until midnight. Oh, well, who am I? Have a great evening. Warthog Command Center out.